Good morning and welcome to the Friday Daytime Show on Indie Live Radio. This is Marlene Halliday and I'm here with my colleague Val Gold. We've got three guests. We've got Geraldine Clayton from Divest Strathclyde who is going to be talking about their campaign to persuade Strathclyde Pension Fund to divest all of its holdings from fossil fuel investments, either direct investments or indirect investments. That's our first guest, that'll be Geraldine. And following Geraldine, we're going to be talking to Ken Andrew. And Ken is a Glasgow City Councillor and he is one of the councillors who is on the Strathclyde Pension Fund Committee, which has responsibility and oversight for the pension fund and its investment strategy. We talked to Ken about the strategy, how effective it is, what the plans are going forward. Our third guest this morning is Scott Tully of Glasgow Calls Out Polluters. In November this year, Glasgow is going to be host to the UN Climate Conference, COP26. We're talking to Scott about the Glasgow Calls Out Polluters group, what their campaign strategies are, what they're doing just now and what they're hoping to do going forward to November. And here we are with the first interview, Geraldine Clayton of Divest Strathclyde. Good morning everyone, you're listening to Indie Live Radio and this is a Friday daytime show. This is Marlene Halliday and I'm here with my colleague and good friend Val Gold. And with us for one of this morning's interviews is Geraldine Clayton of Divest Strathclyde. So we'll say a little bit more um, about that in a minute, but just for a bit of background, you're probably well aware that in November this year, Glasgow's going to be hosting the United Nations Climate Conference, um, usually referred to as COP26, because it's the 26th of these conferences that have happened. All of these COP meetings have been very important over the years, but unfortunately they haven't been very successful in transforming intentions, good intentions, into action. And now we find ourselves at COP26 with even less time to turn around the ongoing increase in carbon emissions that's driving climate warming, climate change all over the planet. One of the main drivers of climate change are the fossil fuel companies and a recent report called the Carbon Majors Report found that more than half of global industrial emissions since 1988 can be traced to just 25 corporate and state-owned entities. And 1988 is significant because that was the year that the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change was established among the highest emitting investor-owned companies since 1988 are ExxonMobil, Shell, BP, Chevron. And the report shows that if fossil fuels continue to be extracted at the same rate over the next 28 years as they were between 1988 and 2017, then global average temperatures would be on course to rise by four degrees by the end of the century. That would have catastrophic consequences, including substantial species extinction and global food chain risks. The current target of the COP meeting is to try and restrict the overall average rise to 1.5 degrees, and even that's looking hard target to achieve. 
So with that bit of background information, um, it gets us back to COP26 later on in the year here in Glasgow and to Geraldine, our guest this morning from Divest Strathclyde. She'll be telling us more about the group, but just a little bit of background information. Um, seven years ago, a group of Glasgow University students um, achieved something rather uh, remarkable. They pushed the university to begin divesting from fossil fuels. And that was the first such campaign win in Europe. Divesting from fossil fuels means that the university, whether it's a pension fund or uh, you know, financial investments, they would transfer any investments in fossil fuel companies into other areas. So after that um, success, that group of students wanted to bring the campaign to the city as a whole, not just the university. And they founded the Strathclyde Pension Divestment Campaign. And the aim of the group is to persuade the trustees of the pension fund to transfer their investments out of any areas that involve fossil fuel companies or fossil fuel related companies and instead to invest in environmentally friendly sectors. The pension fund was set up back when we still had Strathclyde Regional Council. Of course, that doesn't exist any longer. It's now the responsibility of Glasgow City Council. And they set up a committee of councillors. Those councillors' responsibility is to make sure that the fund is run uh, efficiently, it produces the income they need to be able to pay their members' pensions, and they're also responsible for running it in an environmentally, a socially, uh, ethically sound fashion. So, Geraldine, that was a bit of a longer introduction than we usually do for our guests, but I thought it was worthwhile just, just giving a bit of the bigger planetary context and also the context that you're active in in Divest Strathclyde. So do you, do you want to tell us a bit about how you get involved with the group and um, then we can move on to um, what your current focus is. And I've lived in, in Glasgow for 40 years but um, about six years ago uh, I did move back from England, where I was involved in a fracking campaign in the village very near where I live in Link uh, came from in Lincolnshire originally. And um, it was a terrible fight. And uh, I mean, we did everything. We took the company through uh, the courts. We lost them a lot of money and a lot of time, but they just kept coming back because of the unfairness of the planning regulations, basically. And anyway, so when I came up here, I thought, what is the best thing that I can do? And then I thought, well, follow the money, um, you know, as far as all um, these these types of um, activities are concerned, uh, because I'd seen the way that a lot of companies, you know, um, operate. And I thought, um, you know, there's something wrong here. Anyway, so that's how I got involved. Now, I'm not quite sure how long Strathclyde's been going. It started off as frack-free Glasgow, and then it morphed into uh, divest Strathclyde, more to do with specifically the pension fund. So uh, I, so it, it did all this before I moved up. I've been involved in it for about maybe three years, uh, about two and a half years now since, since I moved uh, back up uh, to Scotland. And um, I am a pension fund member, and I'm a retired mem member of the pension fund. Um, and what we are fighting uh, for is the fact, what, the fact that um, the 
investment the investments from the pension fund are really uh, an absolute stalwart of of the uh, of the industry you know that they, they keep them going up to now the uh, it's been great for the pension funds they've been a steady and secure investment but that shows signs that it's not going to be uh, the case anymore. Um, the Glasgow uh, Strathclyde Pension Funds invests through in through direct and through indirect, um, i.e., pooled um, investments, uh, a total of round about five uh, five hundred nine million pounds in fossil fuels. Wow. Um, and some of these companies are uh, are the worst performing companies in in terms of climate change and environmental damage. Um, the council voted in April for full divestment by uh, 2029, um, complete divestment, and the process they wanted to start uh, by the time of COP. And this was voted through by 69 votes to four. But the pension fund committee has the final say on this. And they are saying that uh, they want to decide on the criteria that this will be done on. Um, and so it seems that, uh, that to us that, you know, there's no clarity about what divestment actually means, although the council has uh, by a very clear majority voted for it. So at the moment, this is our big campaign right. that we are uh, um, fighting to, you know, to say, look, divestment means divestment. Yes, in, in, indeed. So to, just, to, just, to, uh, just to ask a question about that. So the pension fund dates back to when we had Strathclyde Regional Council. That's when it all got, was set up. The regional council no longer exists, of course. So, yeah. am, am I right in thinking that the responsibility for running that pension fund now rests with Glasgow City Council? So, it's the city council who voted, sounds like pretty overwhelmingly, um, to divest it. Um, so, so the council has voted against it, but but the committee that runs it, are, are the committee, do they run as sort of like trustees of the fund? You know, are, are they, do they have a, a, a an inbuilt responsibility to make the fund successful or as, as successful as they can? Yes, they are in charge of, of it from a financial point of view. Um, and they're very much uh, into what they call their fiduciary duty yes, yes. um <clears throat> which they um and i can understand their point yes. of view up till now um the, the dividends from the uh, oil and gas companies and the coal companies the fossil fuel companies have been very good and the investments have been um you know have been very safe and secure but this is changing now um for a start, none of the companies, uh, fossil fuel companies, are aligning to the Paris Agreement targets. Um, their core business model is oil and oil and gas, um, and they have to do a lot of greenwashing to convince us um, that you know that, that they change. But we've seen a lot of evidence that 
really they don't intend to change their core business uh, business model. Yeah, and how? What sort of that that five hundred? <coughs> excuse me, five hundred million. So half a billion pounds invested in, in directly mm. or indirectly in fossil fuel companies. You you've been telling us, Geraldine, that um, overall the Strathclyde Pension Fund um, contains about twenty four billion pounds worth of investments. Uh, so that five hundred million, half a billion, that's about what's that? That's about two percent or so. So it's important, you know, to get that into context. It is just two percent of the pension fund's investments. On the other hand. It is 2%. It's half a billion pounds invested in fossil fuel companies, and it would certainly be good to get that transferred out of that kind of investment for all sorts of reasons. As you say, uh, Geraldine, move somewhere that's um, better for the environment, but actually, from the point of view of financial responsibility, actually better for the fund as well, because those assets, oil and gas, are becoming... um, uh, down what, what's the value they're, they're, they're being downrated as an as a value of an of assets so it's not like it is actually a safe um uh, investment these days uh, yes um in in the short term um oil prices do rise and fall as we know but um there are growing calls for cuts in carbon carbon emissions um the time of peak oil is just about over There's going to be rising insurance costs. Mm -hmm. Drilling is becoming more difficult. For instance, they're having to go into the Arctic um, where, uh, for instance, an oil spill in the Arctic would be very, very, even much more serious than it would have been or or than it was in the uh, deep water horizon in in the Gulf of Mexico because um, at the low temperatures, oil solidifies much uh, much quicker and it's much, much more difficult to, yeah. to cope with it. So there are growing international legal challenges, but I believe there's around 220 uh, legal challenges across the world <coughs> on environmental and human rights uh, grounds. And of course, uh, renewables are becoming cheaper. Um, so the companies have all these this um, to contend with. Can I ask you a question, Geraldine? I note, it's quite interesting. I noticed that the Strathclyde Pension Fund is the second largest pension fund in the whole of the UK. Uh, I remember, because Strathclyde Region used to be, I think it used to be the biggest education authority in Europe. Um, And that was one of the reasons that Margaret Thatcher wanted it disbanded. I think she famously referred to it as monstrosities like Strathclyde. Anyway. (laughs) What I was going to ask you was, it's interesting actually that from that great big region, which now, you know, which split into lots and lots of smaller authorities, that that whole pension fund is now managed by Glasgow City Councillors, not anyone from any other uh, councils. But um, what I was going to ask yeah. Well, I just looked at the committee there while oh. we were talking, and it's all the, the the membership of the committee. It's like eight people: five SNP councillors, one Labour, one Green, and one Conservative. Um, unless I'm misreading it. Anyway, what I was going to ask you was how. What what are the nature of your campaigning activities? You know, <laughs> lobbying. Do do you mainly campaign? towards that com- committee and, and in which case what sort of cooperation and support do you get or do you also mm. lobby 
you know, central government with the climate um, change targets being a big priority for the Scottish government? What, do you have you got a kind of multi-layered approach, or do you focus on one? Uh, body that's my question really um you know do you love the um, central government or do you mainly concentrate on the pension fund people um direct strathclyde mainly on the uh, strathclyde pension fund but we have strong links with other groups like uh groups that are campaigning um across Britain, really, especially, say, uh, um, in, you know, in Edinburgh and the university pension funds um, and other pension funds. And also a lot of us have developed <clears throat> wider links with other groups, you know, that are, um, this is quite separate and on, on an individual basis, but other groups that are um, uh, uh, campaigning on transport issues or waste incineration plastics you know the the production of plastics is very much um and single use plastics you know ineos and uh, and the uh, mosmora and all these issues are very very much linked to the whole oil and gas industry so <clears throat> although we are uh, we really do talk very much about the strathclyde pension fund we do campaign on a wider basis as well well, and that just that just makes sense because, as you say, all these things are very much interlinked. I mean, Europe coming in at the end, it's to do with you know the capital where the money um, is uh, uh, comes from. So, what 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 do you feel? What do you feel? What were you left feeling yourself when you heard? Well, Glasgow City Council overwhelmingly saying divest the fund, and then <clears> the trustees saying. Well, what they said, they, 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 fair enough, they've got the, they have actually got the legal responsibility, actually, if they're trustees. So fair enough that they, they want to make sure it's done properly. But it sounds, I mean, do you think they're sort of hedging a bit? Um, do you think, were you disappointed in their response? Well, to be honest, I was a bit confused um, <clears throat> because... Uh, you'd have thought it was a done deal you know that the, the council obviously uh, and the councillors represent the uh, people of Glasgow so it, that's a, the, the most important thing and obviously such a, a, a big majority um, it's very difficult to understand because they're talking about minimum standards uh, without saying what these minimum standards that they're looking for the criteria that, that they will invest on or not invest um, is it could well be well I, I don't know is it a way to um, is it a form of engagement um, before they've always said well if we engage with the fossil fuel companies then it's a good right. way to make them ch to change their ways yeah. but yeah. of course that never happened is it kind of the same thing this you know minimum standards or, or I, I don't know it's made more difficult by the fact they just had their AGM today on Wednesday and uh, although I'm a pension fund member, um, we are not invited. Um, we not given any notes about the AGM, the agenda. We don't really know what's going on. And this isn't the first year. I, as, as long as I've been a, um, living up here as a, a, a retired pension fund member, um, we've we've never been invited to the. Um, I've never been invited mm. to the to the meetings. 
So it seems a bit of a democratic deficit as well. Yes, so yes. there's a lot of things that I find quite confusing, actually, as a member and a member who is um, interested, you know, in it, in it. It's not always, it's a bit opaque sometimes the way yes, it works. Yes, it would be well nice to see if we could contact some of the actual uh, trustee council members, actually, and uh, get their side of what, what, they're, what they're doing. I mean, the thing that struck me was that, I mean, I mean it's, it's years ago now, but I, I went to a meeting of Divest Strathclyde, um, yeah, must be four or five, six years ago, and I ended up writing to my local councillors about the, the divestment. Um, two of them did respond back. One was quite open to the idea. Um, the other one sounded like he wasn't. He gave me a lot of reading material, um, which was all about how difficult it would be. So maybe, you know, even back then, it... it could well have been dif more difficult to know how to go about divesting a big fund like that, but um, but now there are so many uh, you know pension funds, university funds that have started divesting that there must be some good examples of good practice about how to do it. It's not like it's out of the blue and they're being asked to do something no one knows how to do. People have been doing it, isn't it? So it does seem that they could go and, you know, go to a, a, another fund, say, how are you doing this? Um, and then start thinking how to apply it to their own investments. Absolutely. Um, and, and the pension fund, to be fair, does invest quite a lot in uh, the green economy as well. Um, yeah. So it's not, you know, it's not all, all one way. We just need to nudge them, uh, you know, to, in, in that direction, really. So uh, should we should we move on? And t here's Glasgow Council looking after a fund that's got half a billion quid invested in fossil fuels. Can you tell us, have the group got any plans to take advantage of COP26? Uh, being in Glasgow this name of the UN Climate uh, climate conference uh do you think that might be a way of putting a wee bit of pressure on the uh trust trust pension fund trustees well we have a, a meeting every month sometimes two weeks every two weeks and we um make we make the decisions about you know what we're going to do going forward um obviously has been a fantastic um fantastic opportunity in a way because it's been delayed um it's been even better because it means that you know we've had more time to campaign and and they've had more time to get their act together yeah i mean i suppose the cop 26 is just now it's the it's in the back it's in the background isn't it so i, I mean presumably the glasgow city councillors are must be well aware of that and hopefully that's going to, you know, give it, give it, um, the voices that want to make changes have a bit more kind of edge to it. Well, obviously the, the world is watching and Glasgow yeah. knows that, that the world is watching. So, um, yes, uh, you know, we are a small campaign. It's, it's, it, and, and we give our time freely, you know, and write and, 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 and campaign. So, there's only a limited amount of, of things that we can do, but we really want people to, um, well, to, to look at our website, to look us up. And we have got an open letter that we want people to uh, to sign for us. So by looking up 
divest Strathclyde, you can have a look at the open letter and that's going to be sent to the committee. So that's a very important thing that we're uh, concentrating on. And um, just keep at it, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. So today we had a, a, an action in front of the city halls to emphasise the fact that, you know, the AGM was going ahead yeah, and to try and yeah. publicise it, try and really make people aware all the time um, that this is a big issue and it's a very important issue what the pension funds are doing and it's going to make a big, big difference. Yes, indeed. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? It's like those of us who are involved in campaigning, some some of us, um, I can think of friends of mine and they, they what they really like is being out on the street Yes. whether it's on a stall or holding a placard, engaging complete strangers in conversations. And I, I can do that, but it pushes <laughs> up against my comfort zone to do it. And then others of us, more like me, are, you know, are really, really at home with on online meetings and, and, and making contact in that. So I, I noticed, I was having a way look through the, the website and the blog, and I noticed that you've already um, been in taking part in something that was called, what was it again? Oh, yes, COP26 Coalition's Global Gathering. On your website, what it says is mm -hmm. that um, Divest Strathclyde held a session or were part of a session in this global COP22 coalition, which yes. looked at how Scottish pension funds investment are financing mm -hmm. climate breakdown and then yes. the climate breakdown has impacts on indigenous communities, for example, in, in Latin America. And then part of that session, you had some people from those communities, That's you know, right. speaking back and, and, and saying how, how their communities and their, uh, their, their nations are being affected by the kind of investments that um, are, are, are being made by the Strathclyde Pension Fund. And that struck me as being a really powerful connection to make for people because it can sound a bit abstract you know Strathclyde pension fund and investment and yes. fiduciary responsibility but it's a it's not so aspect it's not so abstract when it's someone sitting there telling you how that's affecting their themselves and their communities but then of course the committee on climate change which is the government's own appointed body um on uh, these sorts of issues um issued a report i think it's this very week saying the uk is shockingly shockingly unprepared for dealing with the effects of climate change mm. um we're already seeing it i mean are we this side or that side of the gulf stream um the, the freak you know the, the more and more extreme weather events we're seeing um either very wet or very dry um we're seeing we're beginning to see these things here yeah. and uh, you know we, we can't be uh, and, and the way it's affecting nature and, and the wildlife uh as well and also you know the pollution um it's all affecting us it a is, lot more it, than we in, indeed and it's a, it's it's a bit ironic isn't it because here's the three of us sitting in uh in the country that's got massive renewable resources in Scotland. Yes. I mean, you know, a high, high proportion of European renewable sources are all in either in Scottish waters or Scottish uh, landmass. So it is ironic that we're in this situation still. Yes, that that's such a good point. Um, we are the envy of Europe for our natural resources. And um, 
and the Scottish government is is you know doing a lot, but I think there's a lot more that that, that could be done. Also, of course, energy efficiency. Um, we, that's kind of fallen off the radar a bit, but that's just as important. Yeah. So yeah, we've got we've got a lot going for us, and Scotland's got a lot going for it. You know, with this green future, and of course, jobs. The a green transition um, is would be fantastic for uh, for jobs as well. Given the right policies, um, three times as many jobs would be created in the green economy for every job currently uh, held in the oil and gas sector. Mm. So it makes sense on every on every level. Yeah. Can I ask you, Geraldine, um, are there any other areas that you think are areas of concern? For example, I know that some pension funds um, invest in companies that manufacture arms and yes. so on. Yes. Um, is that something that, that, that Strathclyde have d- now disassociated themselves from? Or are there any other areas that you're aware of? I'm not sure. The arms industry is the obvious one. And Trident replacement. Um, yeah. So, look, we and just want to thank you. We just want to thank you very much for coming on to talk to us. Really appreciate that you've done that. And uh, especially as Val and I know you've been suffering from a wee bit of uh, a cold of late. Um, so thanks very much for coming on, uh, Geraldine. And, uh, yeah, we, we just want to wish you well with that campaign because it's a really, really valuable campaign to take forward. Thank you again. You're listening to Indie Live Radio on Friday the 2nd of July. That was an interview that we recorded earlier this week, Marlene Halliday and myself, Valerie Gold, with Geraldine Clayton from the campaigning group Divest Strathclyde. Indie Live Radio. So you're now going to hear from Councillor Ken Andrew, who sits on the Strathclyde Pension Fund Management Committee. Welcome to another edition of the IndieLive.radio Friday show. And my name is Valerie Gold and I'm here with my co-presenter Marlene Halliday. Good morning, everyone. And we're delighted um, to welcome a guest, Councillor Ken Andrew from Glasgow City Council. Ken is one of the councillors for Ward 11, Hillhead, that's my own ward, and he is a councillor, has been a councillor for the SNP there for almost 10 years now. And today we're talking to Ken in his capacity as one of the members of the Strathclyde Pension Fund Committee. Hello, Ken. Hi there. Hi, it's nice to see you. And um, we know you're beginning to wind down for the summer now, but nevertheless, going into recess, but nevertheless, we're very grateful to you because we know how busy you are. So thanks for giving us your time today. So I'm going to pass over to Marlene um, to start off with some questions about this topic, Ken. Right, good. Yeah, so um, good to meet you, Ken. And yeah, as Val's just said, I really appreciate you coming on the programme. So this last week or two, Val and I have done uh, some interviews with campaigning groups in Glasgow that are just beginning to focus on, uh, you know, the UN Climate Convention that's coming up, COP26. Uh, it's going to be in Glasgow in November, having been postponed for a year. And um So there's various things that they're campaigning on, but there's one group that campaigns on a bit more specifically about the Strathclyde 
pension fund, um, and in particular, just pushing a bit to uh, as as far as is possible to get um, that fund to divest from any investments that are directly or indirectly dependent on fossil fuels. So that, that's, that would be one thing, um, not the only thing, that would be one thing actually to talk to you about. So could we just kick off, could you give us, give us a wee potted history about this Strathclyde yeah. Pension yeah. Fund and, you know, how come Glasgow County City Council is running it? Um, that's that's a, probably a, a much bigger um, question, but I, I think um, the, the Strathclyde Pension Fund, I think it goes back to uh, about the 1970s uh, with the old uh, Unitary Authority, the old, um, you know, Strathclyde region. Uh, and I, I think there was a whole number of, of different small pension funds uh, that were all brought together uh, to form this this much bigger fund, that, that what is now the Strathclyde Pension Fund. Um, <clears throat> the strength of that being that the, the bigger the, the, the fund, the, the more uh, it's able to uh, max out its, its ability to invest yeah. and, and find investment opportunities. I suppose the, the thing I, I should also say, though, is as a, a member of, of the, the pension fund committee, I do have a fiduciary duty uh, yeah. to ensure that the pension fund remains um, solvent, certainly, able to, to pay current pensioners and able to have reserves such that uh, future pensioners will also be able to, to receive a pension. So yeah. in some respects, I, I, we're very controlled by that fiduciary duty to always be seeking to find uh, investments of best value. So I, I think that's probably the, the initial point in, in terms of the fund. The, the, I suppose the, the bigger point is that the, the Strathclyde Pension Fund is, uh, I believe it's the second biggest uh, pension fund in the United Kingdom now. Mm. Uh, its value, set, I think only Birmingham's fund is bigger. Uh, so the Strathclyde Pension Fund at its latest valuation has something like £26.3 billion in investments, which is a, a pretty extraordinary sum. But yeah. as I've already said, you know, we, 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 at that, it's sitting at something like, uh, in its actuarial valuation, it's about 126% of where it needs to be. It needs to be at least at 100% to cover current pensioners and forthcoming pensioners. Yeah. Uh, we've had a very, very strong year. Uh, so we're currently sitting at something like 126%. But in terms of investment, of course, you'll understand this, that, well, you can have some stellar years, which we've just had, <laughs> We need those stellar years to uh, balance out the years where, where stock Aye. markets absolutely crashed, the, the 2008s, the dot-com bubbles. Yeah. The, yeah. Where, where, you know, so so what, while it sounds as if we, we have lots of opportunities to move funds around or whatever because of how well-funded it appears at the moment, we, we, we need that. We need the peaks uh, to make up for the troughs. 
Yeah, yes, I'm, I'm sure. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm well aware that, you know, for you and, and the other councillors on that committee, it is, it's, it's quite a, a weight of a responsibility. I mean, you're told talked about it in terms of fiduciary responsibility. And it is because, you know, you've got, I don't know how many people depend on, um, on, on that fund to get their pension arriving in their bank account every month, but it must be in a, in, I don't know, it might be tens of thousands, I presume. But, um, I didn't that... do my homework, Marlene. I, I apologise. <laughs> well, neither, I, I, no, neither I actually, did I. <laughs> I, I, actually did, I. I actually do have that number, but unfortunately it's in my, my council laptop and in uh, some papers. And I, I, and you'd get very bored waiting for me to boot that up to find <laughs> okay, the number, but it certainly, it certainly runs to tens of thousands. Yes, yeah, I'm, yeah, sure, we, we, I'm we, sure it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sure. Tens of thousands of current pensioners, uh, tens of or probably in the thousands of, of those that have their pension in suspension. So that's those that have been a member but then have left another job but not but left yeah. the pension, and then those that are currently members of the pension fund that will be expecting their pension to be paid. Yeah. And again, that runs to tens of thousands. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, so so you know, in terms of Strathclyde, of course, that covers. Uh, the Glasgow area, Eastern Bartonshire, Western Bartonshire, Renfrewshire, the, you know, whatever. So, you know, and that's just within the council. Then there's colleges, universities, oh. fire brigade, etc., oh. etc. Et yeah, lots, yeah, lots, 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 of, lots of people. Yeah, lots of um, lots of jobs that were, as you say, over the old Strathclyde region. And to declare an interest, I'm I'm married to one of those tens of thousands, so I, ha I have a vested interest in right, his okay. pension arriving in his bank account every month. <laughs> so just just to go back, just about a lot of things we want to talk to you, but. Um, just to to pick up on on the, the point about you know how easy or not or how willing or not it is to divest from funds that are are, are dependent on fossil fuels. I mean, five hundred million, so half a billion pounds, is regularly quoted by campaign groups as as being the amount of investment that the Strathclyde Pension Fund has invested. I mean, not it won't be all directly, some of it will be indirectly, but in funds that benefit from fossil fuel industries. So you, you can tell us in a minute if that figure is accurate. But just to put it into perspective, if that's correct, that would be maybe about 2% of the total funds that you hold, I think, I th something like that. So I, th I think currently we're, we're somewhere less than 1%. Right. I, th my, my, I believe it's something like about half of 1% uh, are in fossil fuel companies, if you like. I, I suppose the, what I should say is that uh, a, a lot of the, 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 the fossil fuel companies, and they're not all the same, um, but, but many of them are now beginning to divest from the traditional uh, role of drilling for, for oil. Uh, I should also make it clear we yeah. have absolutely no investments in uh, mining, coal mining. We have, we have no money invested in coal mining at all. Is that the same for arms as well, Ken, for arms companies or...? We, we as a we, we are we are uh, I believe it's we're somewhat A-rated as an ethical investor. That's excellent. However, and 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 here's the thing, and you you'll immediately understand this that you can 
I can think of one company, and um, and I don't think I'm, I'm giving too much away. That it's a worldwide company, Hewlett Packard. Mm-hmm. Probably your printers made by them, or maybe your laptop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're a huge American company, manufacturer, manufacturer of microchips, whatever. And not terribly long ago, we were being, you know, it was being demanded that we divest from some holdings we had in Hewlett Packard because a chip that Hewlett Packard make ended up in um, Israeli, um, uh, what's the word? Um, surveillance. Which, uh, surveillance. Mm. Thank you, Val. Uh, su- surveillance equipment. Mm. Right. Now, that, I mean, it's absolutely true, but I mean, that is the global nature of this world. And, and if you dug far enough into almost any investment, you might eventually get to somewhere where you don't, you don't want to see us investing in. But the very same people that might be complaining about that investment have probably printed off their leaflet on their Hewlett Packard <laughs> printer or written me the email on that device or even they might not know it, but it might well be inside the device that says Lenovo. It could be a Hewlett Packard chip inside it. Yeah. We've, yeah. It's everything, you know, so, so it's not absolutely straightforward. In terms of the divestment from fossil fuels, as I said, a lot of the fossil fuel companies are now, uh, I mean, Shell are um, rebranding themselves as an energy company. They're actually getting away from, you know, even calling themselves an oil company. Now, that might be a bit of greenwashing. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, could, I can accept that, you know, you, you, you could be slightly cynical about that. But the reality is, for, for a company like Shell or BP or, you know, any of these companies, they, they're looking, they can see the writing on the wall for, for uh, oil extraction as a, a business model going forward. Um, so they will start, they are starting to look at other business opportunities away from oil extraction because oil extraction is not going to be the, if you like, super profitable enterprise it once was. It is going to become yeah. uh, on the margins. And I believe, that, that I, be- I believe your committee has recently made a statement, just very recently, uh, that, that this uh, pressure group have praised as a positive step that the committee have committed to assess the climate credentials of the companies they invest in and to divest from companies which in inverted commas don't take the responsibility on carbon carbon or climate seriously so it's clear that there is you've got a very difficult role you've got this massive amount of money on your shoulders but you have to balance your fiduciary responsibilities with the ethical side so you're sort of by the way just on just on the the numbers that you mentioned earlier i have actually found them here so it is a huge amount Ninety-four thousand active members of of the scheme out of which 74,000 are pensioners and 53,000 are deferred members. Yeah, yeah that's good and to know. Like I'm, I used to work for Glasgow City Council, um, but as a teacher, my 
my um, pension comes from the Scottish, the SPPA, which also covers the police as well, I think. But I do think that Glasgow City Council still has to pay some of that. Um, Strathclyde Fund pays a bit of some teachers who have got enhancements. I think that comes from yeah. the council, doesn't it? So, I, believe, I believe it does, Val. Uh, yeah, and that's quite a lot of people, you know, anybody who got a deal with an enhancement. Anyway, yeah. um, I digress. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> well, it, it, I mean, it's interesting, like, because like, raising that point about your responsibility to make sure that you're running the fund as effectively as possible, you know, as you said earlier, you, you do need to have good years where you have, creating more income than you need so as to balance the, the, the bad years. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, I'm sure that in the past, companies like BP, Shell, Exxon, I mean, have been good investments. I'm sure they've produced a good return on their investment. They're also, though, the, in the, that set of about, I think it's about 25 companies that produce, a, a, you know, out of all proportion amount of, have produced in the past, an out of all proportion amount of carbon emissions. So you've got those two things together. And, and then now those companies' assets, I mean, part of those companies' assets is what's in the ground underneath their oil wells. But if your assets crash, if your assets become you know, less and less rated, then actually at that point, they're not a good investment. I mean, it's not a good investment to have money in a company whose assets have crashed. So that does I, I, that I, make does that, that make does that make the kind of decisions about where to put the money a bit easier in a way in these days than maybe it was six seven years back? <clears throat> I think I think there's an element of that, Marlene. There's, I mean, you know, clear, clearly that you know that there can be an issue where you end up with a frozen asset that it you know it just it becomes almost useless. You know, because of the the nature of what it was like. You know, it's always the, the, the curious one that was, was oft quoted, although it's not as germane now. But Nokia started off making cartwheels. Really? And, yes, <laughs> they were a, a Finnish cartwheel company. Wow. You know, so you know, and and they you could have ended up holding stock or equity in Nokia making cartwheels. Now they decided at one point to then however circuitously get to mobile phones um you know and and that is potentially where the, the some of the these um if you like oil companies are, are potentially going they, they are going to leave that and and uh, eventually these assets like what's under the ground they'll not pump it because it becomes it just it'll be making them no money yeah. I think there's the other point to make. Isn't it? Sorry to interrupt. That's already happening in the North Sea because my nephew yes. works. He's an engineer, a senior engineer with an oil, an international oil company, and he says that you know the reason it's so quiet is because the companies are going to other places in the world where the oil is easier to get out. Whereas there is oil in the North Sea, but it's more difficult to extract. So sorry it's, for interrupting you. No, 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 no. I mean, I mean the the, the the oil companies at the moment, it's it's effectively it's a, a economical view they take. You know what is the current price per barrel? What is the price per barrel to get it out of the North Sea? Is there somewhere cheaper? And you know even if and if we do pump that, I mean 
it, it's the amount the, the more they pump the, the more the price will go down whatever yeah i also had a, a, had a conversation with a guy who one of our uh, from one of our investment managers um an english gentleman but we were speaking via zoom to him in uh, new york and i asked him the question i said how much of the oil that we're pumping actually ends up in the you know in our cars as petrol or diesel or as heavy fuel in, in ships and whatever? Um, and he said that that's one of the things they've always tried to work out. You know, and it's not an, an easy calculation. What fraction? If you remember your chemistry and fractions of oil. Um, yeah, ends yeah. up, you know, being burnt, um, because while you know we we almost certainly were going to be moving to to stopping burning fossil fuels, it may still, <laughs> almost certainly for a period anyway, will be economical to actually take oil out of the ground for the plastics industry, yeah. which is an enormous, you know, virtually everything, you know we're sitting around has, is has come from under the ground uh, to, to form plastics and no one's suggesting that the plastic and in, plastics industry is going to go away or no one's you know suggesting we go back to bakelite which probably arguably is you know uh, i can't quite remember the process for making bakelite but i'm sure it's not very uh, earth friendly either so, so, so that, the, the, although, the, I, sorry you go on no, I'm just saying, I think there are some of these kind of nuances in there, you know, in terms of, of you know, p pulling some of these assets out the ground, you know, and are we necessarily, you know, doing bad stuff with them? I mean, clearly a, a lot of it goes into the chemical industry and a lot of, of those chemicals are used for in pharmaceuticals, for instance. Exactly, yeah. You know, yeah. So, so we, yeah. we have to try and think a bit more broadly and, and I'm, I'm reasonably certain that, the pressure to just stop burning these fuels is just going to ramp up and up. And certainly our investment in these oil uh, giants, if you like, you know, we, we, we'll continue to look very closely at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I think you're right. It does have to be a nuanced um, discussion about that industry because obviously you know there are some parts of it and you mentioned pharmaceuticals that's an obvious one we're gonna we need that and if you need if you need you know organic material that uh, to begin with you get from from an oil well and then you start um you know uh, uh making other things from it then i don't think anyone's arguing against that i mean the plastics i think actually there's quite a few people that think the plastics industry really needs to uh you know make itself a lot more environmentally friendly that's going to you know disappear so just to just to going back to the the the, the count the committee that you're on recently there was a vote in Glasgow City Council as a whole um that was uh, you know it came out very very heavily in favor of divesting um uh, from from uh, from investment I, I, I think there was only four people four councillors who voted against it but you know as we've been saying it's your committee who have the responsibility and it is a very big responsibility so 
how does it work? Do, do you have to put that council vote into action or do you still retain a measure of independence um, from, we, from we that? We do have a level of independence. Um, and, and as I said, you know, given our fiduciary duty and the fact that that was Glasgow City Council made, if you like, came up with that motion, but we, we have, we run the pension fund for lots of other groups and other councils and whatever who didn't make that vote. So, and, and that's, I am fudging it a wee bit and I do accept that. Um, but, but, you know, what we are looking at though is we're looking very closely at how uh, some other funds are, are divesting and divesting yeah. appropriately because the very last thing you would ever want to do is is be slap dash around investment uh, because markets can get spooked. You could end up doing all yeah. sorts of <clears throat> damage and unintended consequences of your actions. Yeah, so we have yeah. to be very careful about that. We are currently we, we're, we're trying to speak with the pension fund, the New York pension fund, which is recognized as a world leader in it's how it's managed its um, ethical policies and its policies of divestment out of um, things like fossil fuels and, and mining and whatever. Um, so, so we, we, you know, we, we, of course, the New York fund and, and any fund will, will be slightly secretive about how it does its business because that you know that that effectively gives it a an advantage in the markets yeah of course because, yeah, of, of, course. because of the way it invests so so they're not just going to say oh here you are guys here's yeah. how you do it not least when when you see that the, the the cost of managerial you know investment managers and advisors bet, you know yeah, that we yeah. pay you know when we've got a 26.3 billion pound fund we pay a lot of for these guys these guys get paid extraordinary sums of money to do what they do yeah but yeah. we are you know we, we are talking with um the new york fund to to try and get to produce a, if you like a, a um an ethical protocol yeah. that we can be, be appropriately signed up to so that we, we can start saying, well, you know, in terms of the, the, the motion in council to divest from funds, you know, that's, you know, how, how we'll manage that. Yeah, I think the other yeah. thing to say, though, is that when we have divest Strathclyde and they're saying get out of these funds, and that's fine, but effectively, you know, Strathclyde would say, right, we're going to sell off our you know, 200 quarter of a billion pounds worth of, of that stock. And then a bad guy like me comes along, say, oh, well, you know, that's going cheap on the market and I buy it up. But I actually, I have no good environmental um, credentials or thoughts and other than profit. Profit's the only thing that motivates me. And I then just let those companies behave in whichever um, egregious way that they choose. Yes, I've One heard that. I've heard that argument made. That, you know that it's like it's an argument that a big investor can influence how yes. a fund is it is managed to make yeah. it more environmentally friendly. We, so we we are doing that, Marlene. We are mm -hmm. speaking with with those companies and saying, "Where are you going with this? Where, you know, 
you know, we've we've got a climate emergency. How are you managing this? And yeah. so so we are trying. You know, we are not trying. We are influencing these companies. Yeah, and, yeah. And all the investment managers are doing that. They're all speaking with companies they own, and and you know, basically saying, you know, you need to change here, guys. You know, you know, I do. I don't want to hold. You know, hold this investment and watch it just become stranded. Yeah. Yes. Of course. That's it. That that, that that's what affects everyone, isn't it? Stranded, stranded assets. And I mean, I, I was. I'm. I'm glad you mentioned the, the sort of the, the the you mentioned the New York City fund because I was thinking that these days now there are examples of other funds that have uh, maybe a bit further ahead than you are in terms of divesting and and I've got a good experience of so so it must be capable of like following maybe not only in footsteps but you know getting getting an example of, of that yeah. so if I just ask a, a bit of a wider question because um you know, even for small investors, I mean, like an individual person, maybe someone with, you know, I don't know, a stocks and shares, ISA or something, and thousand quid to put in. It's not that e it's possible, but it's not that easy to find non-fossil fuel reliant funds for small investors. So it must be more of a problem in some respects when it's a big investor like yourselves. So it's not a few thousand you're putting in, you know, you're looking for a fund that can... So do you think that the financial services industry is itself being, you know, nimble enough to provide you with the kind of investment opportunities, non-fossil fuel ones that you need? I think... The, that was an interesting use of words there, Marlene, like nimble, uh, uh, you know, and a pension fund because pension funds are very long. You know, very you're, long all, term. you're looking yeah. at very yeah. long term and yeah. quick chops and changes do not suit big it's pensions. Like, like, that. like a big, a huge, one of these massive big tankers that takes yeah. compared to like a wee speedboat. It's basically that, that's it. I mean, the... the I mean, there are some guys that will, you know, will be investing and being very active players in stock markets, you know, buying and selling these guys, you know, hedge fund managers and whatever that are, you know, buying relative to pension funds, relatively small amounts of stock, hedging other stocks, etc., to play one off it, you know, play pay Peter to you know, Rob Paul or whatever it is that these guys yeah. do. For the pension funds, that's just not our game. It's just you know, it's yeah. very, very yeah. long-term thinking, uh, and and so. But you don't really have long-term now. No one has long-term left now to put think about where this planet's going in terms of uh, climate emergency. I mean, we used to talk about climate change and thing and 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 now climate emergency is probably you know the, the kind of least worrying phrase that gets used so fair enough yeah you, you do have short-term and long-term investments i was more thinking about you know if you're if you go houses and say we want to put x million pounds into something that isn't fossil fuel dependent i mean are they really able to points that are big enough to take that measure of investment 
there, I mean, the the, the gen our holdings are, are across so many different asset classes, Marlene. It's you know, I mean, it's in in North, You know, we we have you know property assets. We have you know land holdings. We have you know we, we virtually every asset class you could imagine because the whole you know the, the you know it's about a balanced portfolio. But you know, I mean, some of the things that, that yeah. don't ever get kind of mentioned is, for instance, our direct invest investment portfolio, where we we have huge amounts of money. Really big parts of the fund are invested directly in things like wind farms and yeah, you know, know. Yeah. things like that. You know, which so so we we are investing in, in if you like, long term uh, projects that, in terms of uh, return. You know, we, we may well be putting, you know, hundreds of millions into some of our direct investment portfolio in the expectation that we'll not actually see returns for, yeah. you know, 10 years. Yeah. That the, the cash flow that comes from that will, is likely to be very strong at, at once you've got over that sort of initial cost period. Um, yeah, so yeah. we are doing what, you know, there's lots of stuff does happen in terms of the investment fund, you know, as I said, the, the, the investment in the fossil fuel companies is a relatively small part of our portfolio. I suppose, though, just yeah. to be kind of, you know, um, to be fair and honest, that one of the things that generally the fossil fuel companies have always been good for is they've always paid very strong dividends, yeah. regular strong dividends. And for the pension fund, uh, when you're having you know, your peaks and troughs, uh, that can really help your treasury management yeah. because there is a strong dividend payment that can help pay the pensions. You know, if you, you are, have, you know, because you do, or it can help with the, the treasury management of paying the, the pensions, that strong dividend stream. Um, and to, and that that is what, you know, and, and I think the... Pension fund managers would concede that point, but they would also say they are equally they're looking at other asset classes where they can get that same uh, regular uh, strong dividend stream yeah. to, to help with treasury management. And again, yeah. that's just that smoothing process um, between the, the employee contributions, employer contributions, and then you know and and. Um, dividend yes yes yeah. yeah and and whatever it's been in the past in terms of you know providing you with that kind of you know gar not guaranteed but you know safe investment um obviously if you're back if you're down now to not point um five would you say no one percent one percent i mean that's not that's not a significant part of your holdings no, no, it's not. I mean, it, it has become and, and and has been progressively just getting smaller yeah, and smaller yeah, yeah. because we, you know we we know that that's not particularly a good investment. We yeah. we know we've got we have this climate emergency. Why you know? So I mean, for instance, in, in like deep coal mining, or in fact any coal mining, we we are completely divested from that. We hold no stocks in in, in coal mining. Yeah, good. Go wow, I think you've got a question. I just wanted to ask you, just like a, from a personal point of view, Ken, I mean, this is only one of your responsibilities as a counsellor, and I know that 
you know, the responsibilities of a, a city councillor are quite varied and, and onerous. I just thought, I'm just thinking this huge amount of money and massive responsibility for paying the pensions of, you know, thousands of folk, that must like sit quite heavy on your shoulders. Does it, does it you know, how do you cope with that kind of responsibility? Do you, do you is it something that weighs heavy on your shoulders or do you manage fine? I, th I think I'd be lying to say say I'm I'm, I'm losing sleep at night about it. Um, what what I would say is that I have huge confidence in the the professionalism of the the, the managers of of the the pension fund. Um, it is a very very professional and well run uh, organisation, mm -hmm. uh, and they 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 are they use external. Uh, investment advice and managers from a, a huge number of companies um, to, to manage some of our investments. And if you look at our portfolio of assets and different asset managers, uh, you know, it, it's a hugely complex business. Mm -hmm. yeah, as yeah. Such, we are, I suppose, as committee members, I mean, I, I, I take my responsibility very seriously. Um, I, all my responsibilities very seriously. Um, and it, it's, but there's, there's something about, you know, leaving this hugely complex matter to the professionals, uh, but by the same token, as much as possible, um, ask the, the, the sensible questions and try and, you know, make sure that um, we are scrutinising how, how they yeah. manage this. And that's, that's both in terms of their ability to pay pensions now in the future, but equally look after the planet. You know, that is... Yeah, and, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. I was thinking that, actually, uh, as well, that, you know, obviously part of your job is to make sure that the fund's being managed effectively and coming up with the income it needs. But, but I think from the point of view of the councillors there, you've also got... Um, and, and it sounds like you're well aware of this, but you've also got a moral responsibility to align yeah. the pension fund with the needs of the planet, you know, its climate. And, and I mean, actually, eventually, its ability to support um, the kind of life that we enjoy on it um, uh, at the moment. So, you know, it's quite a... That's quite a, a, that's quite a task. Yeah. So just to finish, just to finish off... so. COP26 is coming up in, I think it's just five months now. It's going to be yep, here in Glasgow yep. in November. So, you know, there's the world coming to Glasgow to try and do to wrench our world economy away from its current, you know, so dependency, carbon emissions. So there's no direct link between the Strathclyde Pension Fund and COP26, but... You know, symbolically, perhaps, is that COP26? Do you feel that as a significant moment for yourselves and your stewardship of the fund? I mean, I, I, I think certainly coming up to COP26, I mean, we, we, I would like to hope that we'll have perhaps clarified, you know, our uh, investment protocol by then. I would like to think that we would have, you know, you know, depending if, if New York uh, Pension Fund are prepared to share some of their advice with us. And, and, and to be fair to Americans, they're nearly always incredibly generous with their intellectual property. Um, mm -hmm. 
So, you know, but I, I think, you know, that would be something that we, I, I would like to think that we've got an ambition to uh, get to a point, you know, prior to COP26, where we can say, actually, we've signed up to this protocol oh. in terms of, you know, our, our investment strategies. Uh, I think one of the things that almost certainly we'll do is we will, if you like, um, you know, climate assess every investment, you know, prior to prior to getting into investments, that one of the things we'll yeah. all be looking at is yeah. what is, it's, you know, environmental impact so you know so there'll be an environmental impact assessments on all our, our assets before we, we, we uh, invest in them and those that we have currently hold what is their current environmental impact is it negative in which case what are we doing about it are we going to yeah. start you know yeah. looking at other investment classes you know to come out of that or are we asking those investment managers that have advised that are they going and saying to to the, the executive management of those companies, right? You need to clean up your act or whatever. And that again is the point that if you die, if you simply divest, and those shares get held in terms of some of the you know perhaps big insurers or whatever that are you know more inclined to just raw performance rather yeah. than uh, yeah. ethical good. Um, you know, you, you lose that lever of control. Yes. And, and I think and, and we, we actually have yeah. quite a strong lever of control. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe some of the, hopefully COP26 will, you know, have some concrete achievements that it comes up with that, uh, for countries to sign up with. And, you know, maybe that, that presumably that can have an impact on your actions going forward um Absolutely. i think i think we'll need to stop there I, I, it's just been fascinating talking to you ken i just oh, really you. really appreciate you uh, you know giving up your time today to come and, and chat to us um but i think yeah Val, you you shall we finish there and yeah i do have one last question ken about bins but i think i'll keep that for another day <laughs> I know that's your favourite subject. <laughs> oh yeah, I love that. Yeah, so <laughs> level of expertise in that as well. <laughs> so thanks very much from the sublime to the ridiculous. Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, great. Welcome back, everyone. Um, we're carrying on today's theme on the climate emergency, and we're now with our third guest of the morning, who is Scott. Tully from Glasgow Calls Out Polluters. Scott, thanks very much for being prepared to come and chat to us. Really appreciate that. No worries at all. It's lovely to be here. Thanks Good. for inviting me. Good. So for anyone who's just tuned in, hasn't heard the previous two guests, um, the, the UN Climate Conference, uh, COP26, is here in Glasgow in, in November. So in just five months' time. And at that point, climate negotiators from all over the world will be trying to get governments to act on their promises because there is already a climate agreement that most countries have signed up to but most governments haven't done enough to back up that agreement with action and time's running out. You only have to look at the, the news this week from Western Canada and Western states of the US to see the kind of weather patterns that are 
becoming to be common in regions where there were once a, a, a rarity. So there's no doubt that COP26 is going to be crucial in wrenching governments towards stepping up their efforts to combat the, the climate emergency. So, Scott, there's a, lot, there's a lot at stake. Can you tell us more about that and, in particular, what your group are doing? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um... And I'm going to apologise by starting with an acronym, but like the kind of COP process is kind of laden with acronyms, which is one of the ways in which it can be sometimes a little bit kind of alienating for ordinary people. But basically COP stands for Conference of the Parties. Um, and, you know, parties are basically nation states. So what we've got coming to Glasgow are, I think, 197 um, nation states um, coming to Glasgow to like collectively negotiate on aspects of climate policy. Um, as you kind of just touched on there, Marlene, like the Paris Agreement is like quite central to that as well. Um, so the Paris Agreement was this kind of big agreement in 2015 to keep global temperatures no more, or keep a global temperature rise to no more than two degrees Celsius from pre-industrial levels, and um, with a kind of aim towards keeping it to 1.5. But as you also pointed out, um, we basically no one is even close to um, to getting anyone near. Um, being kind of Paris compliant um, in terms of their emission reduction. And um, we are a million miles away from any sort of like sensible climate that is not um, deadly for human life. Um, and we're, yeah, like you said, we're kind of seeing the consequences as we speak. Yeah. Um, so like one of the reasons that like the Paris Agreement hasn't really worked is because it's non-binding. Um, so like when they agreed it, they didn't actually agree. They agreed that the Paris Agreement was basically a good idea, but they didn't like agree on like any formal mechanism to make it happen. Um, and of course, like, no surprises for guessing what's happened now, um, not much climate action. So, one of the reasons that um, it's non-binding, um, one is partly like the United States, who are not always a good actor um, in the kind of <laughs> in the international climate scene. Yeah, especially, the, especially the last four years. Yeah, yeah, but we should also remember that historically, they've been a pretty poor actor yeah. um, across the board. This has been like the worst period of their um, kind of climate diplomacy, but it's always been pretty poor. But yeah, one reason as well is that, it, I guess, putting like binding emission reductions kind of conflicts with the kind of um, the political zeitgeist of um, power, um, of kind, of, kind of corporate power for big polluters, for want of a better way of putting it, you know. So we have like outsourced a lot of political responsibility to like corporations and big polluting companies with the kind of I would say a very naive, if I'm being kind, a very naive assumption that these people can sort out the climate emergency themselves. Um, but of course, what these people have been doing is continuing with business as usual. So us at Glasgow College at Polluters are kind of organising roughly around the issue of big polluters at COP. Um, so this has been like a, a major sticking point for years at COP. Um, the presence of big polluting companies, their kind of lobbying influence, They've even wrote some of the some of the worst parts of the Paris Agreement. A shell executive was caught bragging that he wrote the kind of straw proposal for it. So when I guess a climate conference came to land in your city, and it's very weird that it's kind of landed in Glasgow, and I think it's kind of surreal that something this big is landing here. Um, although of course there's historical reasons why a country like the UK um, has been chosen. Um, but I think we have like a responsibility to like act in solidarity with those on the front line and um, fighting the climate crisis. Yeah. So all these kind of lobbyists and kind of business types who we are holding responsible for the climate crisis come into Glasgow 
we're going to do what we can to lessen their influence and presence over the climate talks. So, but I was wondering just um, if for some of our listeners that are um, maybe not aware of your organisation, Glasgow Calls Out Polluters, which really is a great thing to be in existence at this crucial stage. I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about the background to the organisation and your campaigning group, you know, how long has it been in existence, How, uh, when did you start and how did you get the the sort of motivation to begin? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, we, oh, a lot of places it kind of came out of. Um, it broadly came out of like the divestment movement. Um, I know you've, I think you're speaking to Geraldine from Divest Strathclyde. Yeah. So like this kind of movement to, you know, shift um, public funds away from big polluting companies. So when the news kind of emerged that, um, you know, COP26 was coming, to the, to the UK, Scotland, and more specifically to Glasgow. Like for people like myself and a few others, it wasn't too much of a leap to probably apply, to start applying like the same sort of principles to the COP, and if that makes sense, like these kind of anti-corporate principles and trying to like shift the um, public acceptance of big polluting companies um, and the kind of deference that our um, public institutions have to um, big polluting companies. I think in theory we kind of started at um, about December of last year. We ran not December of last year, sorry, December twenty nineteen. Um, we ran a kind of workshop, um, and I was I think I ran it, and I was gently encouraged by like a few allies um, just to kind of do this and try and set up something in around Glasgow. Um, and from there, it's kind of just just developed. Um, we. Obviously, like we had this sort of thing where the COP was supposed to be 2020, right? It was supposed to be in November, so it was quite hard to like anticipate and plan ahead in a sense. Um, so I think we kind of gave ourselves the name Glasgow Calls It Polluters because we were kind of like we weren't sure if the COP was going ahead. Firstly, so we <laughs> we couldn't we couldn't we didn't want to have like a, a name that was specifically COP, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then, and yeah. all the organising work was kind of um, in futility. And we kind of broadened out as well to try and like influence some of the climate debate in, in Scotland and, and beyond with things like the Polluter Awards, which, I'm, which I can talk about later on as well. Um, so yeah, it's just been kind of developing from, from there, really. Um, we're kind of roughly Glasgow-based, but not even. Like, we've got somebody from like Brussels as part of our organising group. And um, we've had people, we've got people from London as well. And we're quite well plugged in with like lots of other groups across the UK, Europe and across the globe that are also kind of involved in this kind of struggle. So it's, it's simultaneously kind of Glasgow focused and we're trying to like bring that kind of Glasgow focus to like this kind of fight to kick players out and use it as well to influence politics in Scotland and beyond. But also, um, yeah, we're kind of connected kind of globally as well, which is, you know, we're, we're trying to keep a good balance between the two. So um, Tell us, tell us some of the things that you're up to. I mean, I, mean, I had a wee look at your website, and there's a, I think there's a letter that you've written to Alok Sharma. Now he's, he's actually the president of the the meeting, isn't he? On, I think presumably that's on behalf of the UK government, but it's not a UK government event. It's a UN event, isn't it? A UN event, um, but like, as like, when uh, you're, you're right, the UK are the president, and like with that comes like a little bit of like low level agenda setting power and um, which we can like maybe get into a little bit later on because the UK government can kind of bring their own agenda and their own kind of ideas around climate to the forefront 
But um, yeah, we did. We had, to, we had an open letter to Alok Sharma, who is the president of COP26. I think it's signed by over yeah. 240 groups from across the world. But it also kind of speaks towards what I was talking about earlier in terms of like the global kind of um, appeal. And the, it's been a global issue for years, you know. Um, so it's, it's been something that we've been that we are just helping to like carry forward as much as we can being in Glasgow. But there's like quite a lot of global interest in this issue. Um, so yeah, there's five demands there, which are basically for him to use his power as president to um, lessen or make moves to lessen the presence of big polluters at COP26. So that includes um, not um, giving any UK passes to big polluters. That includes not um, giving any sponsorship to big polluters. Well, he's already failed there. Um, rejecting false solutions to the climate crisis, a very important issue. Big polluters are determined to um, push forward very speculative solutions that literally don't work yet, which is just a wild gamble um, to place on the climate crisis. Things like carbon capture and storage. Listen, there's an argument that we should be thinking about it. Yeah. We should not be predicating like um, emissions reductions on yeah. it because it's so unlikely to work. Um, so we asked him to reject that. Fourth, and perhaps the central one, um, which is the one that people have been pushing for for ages, is to push for a conflict of interest policy. So at the um, World Health Organization, um, they have a conflict of interest policy that um, means that big tobacco companies can't be present in World Health Talk because they are a vested interest whose private profits are dependent on poor health outcomes. It's a conflict of interest. It's not fair to have them at the debate. Um, and we are saying that for that the same principle, yeah. the same very central <laughs> principle should be applied to the presence of big polluters. And the fifth one, and it's a big issue as well, um, because of particularly because of like the kind of vaccine politics that are emerging, is to like deliver climate justice and make sure that voices on the front line are centered. People like Alex Sharma will pay lip service to it, um, but he'll do very little of substance. Now we did actually meet Alex Sharma around this. We got a meeting with him, a 30-minute meeting. Um, I know, I know. Um, a full 30 minutes, which, to be honest, I was, I was pleasantly surprised at, in, in a sense that like, I had low expectations. <laughs> um, so that followed us launching the open letter, and then we did like a kind of um, an internet meme action. Um, we'd sent, we got lots of people to like send like internet memes to Alok Sharma. That, and a few phone calls to his office, managed to get us an interview, an interview in a 30-minute slot with him. Yeah, yeah. Um, Unsurprisingly, his position is like not very good um, on these. He's basically, I would describe him as somebody who is afraid to take responsibility and make a political stand against the presence of big polluting companies. Mm. Um, and that's kind of in keeping with our politics over the last 30 or 40 years. You know, we've outsourced a lot of power to um, kind of private corporate actors. Um, yeah. And kind of Alok Sharma is just kind of in keeping um, with that tradition, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just reading your open letter, which is really impressive with these five um, points. And it's really amazing that you've got, you know, the, yeah. have you met with any resistance, you know, from other organisations or any sort of anybody trying to block your activities? Um, apart from the COP president, um, no. Um, I <laughs> <laughs> uh, not, not, don't think a great deal. I mean, you get like, I think, it's more that some people aren't maybe so interested in like that sort of activity. And you get like the odd people on Twitter giving you the 
oh, well, why don't we just engage with these big polluters and talk to them, or and then they might like these ends. Um, that's a common reminder you get um, on yeah. Twitter. And of course, like I would argue that we've been doing that for 40 years and look where we are. Um, but honestly, like not too much resistance. And I think to a certain extent, like, like it kind of speaks towards just how this isn't actually, in my opinion, a very radical demand, right? Um, it's radical in the context of a politics that outsources responsibility for the corporations because you're challenging them. But in the sense that these guys are a clear conflict of interest, like it's actually quite sensible. And I think it's quite easy for, for people to, to understand. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you, it's a good comparison to make with um, the tobacco companies, isn't it? Because, um, well, certainly people my age, but um, even a bit younger, um, you know, we're well, we're we're well aware. Remember all the kind of hassle and lobbying that went on. Uh, actually, some some of it quite dishonestly from those tobacco companies, you know, to stop bringing in well, like warnings on the side of the package, things that we just take for granted now. Um, but but that took years and years and years. Um, so I think that's quite a good you know example to to sort of use because yeah I'm, you know I'm sure the same things um, happening with the uh, the big oil and gas companies. Um, so that was good hearing a bit about uh, the background to the group and there's obviously things you've got um, going on uh, actions that you've got going through the website. So could we should we talk a bit? about some of those because there's ones about the Glasgow no the Scotland pollution polluter awards tell us about that yeah the Scottish polluter awards yeah we've got the Scottish polluter awards and the UK polluter awards yeah. um we are we've broadened out you know um aye so I guess it was kind of that this was partly because I guess it was during lockdown right so yeah. like something that we are something we are thinking about doing is like doing like a kind of a lot of like tours around Glasgow, toxic tours, where we kind of take people around like sites of like kind of pollution in Scotland and just like do a bit of storytelling and a bit of like social history as well. And it's a kind of good way to like engage international guests as well. But yeah, lockdown happens, right, in March 2020 and we're all inside um, and a lot of people were like on furlough and stuff and had a bit of time in their hands. So we just spent the time just kind of learning um, about doing that kind of work that we needed to do for like the kind of toxic tour there and then. And then we're like, what do we do with all this information? And we're like, why don't we just run some awards? Because like something that we are quite keen on challenging is this kind of notion in Scotland, that Scotland's a climate leader. It's said an awful lot. Um, and we would say that it's definitely not the case. So we kind of use that as a way to kind of poke fun, not poke fun, but like challenge that in a kind of fun way. Um, so we've got like for example the North Sea Numpty Award, um, which is quite telling again because like the North Sea is like the I think it's Europe's biggest kind of continental shelf of oil. Um or yeah. one of the biggest one of the biggest sites of oil extraction anyway across Europe, um, and most definitely is radically adding to um, the climate crisis. I like the way you phrase it. I like your terminology. Read <laughs> it a wee bit from, from your website and um, just to let any listeners know that um, if they want to go onto your website, Glasgow calls out polluters, they can vote in the polluter profiles category. Yeah. And it says, I like the way you phrase it, many of the world's worst climate records clamour to slather us with their slime PR. P 
paying out millions accrued from tax avoidance to convince us that they're trying to heal the world rather than plunder and destroy. And you've got various nominees there that people can read about. But it's really entertaining and very informative as well. Yeah, that's part of the point. It's kind of um, kind of secret way to like you know, get a little bit of knowledge as well whilst you um, cast your vote. So you are, in theory, um, supposed there's little like drop down menus, and you can like read a little bit about the said polluters and like you know why they've um, worked so hard to earn a nomination for the award, yeah. um, and then make your decision there and then based on we the information. Do that as we speak, um, so yeah. that you, when you try to, you know, you can go in and get a wee thumbnail. Um, a bit more information about each of these uh, organisations, like Shell rebranding to Shield for international. Oh, I mean, it's a it's a terrible, terrible farce. I think that's what I voted for. I think in one of the categories because like that was on like the slimiest greenwash category. So that's in the UK Polluter Awards, um, and yeah, Shell for International Women's Day. I think rebranded themselves to Shield, so they put like an apostrophe between the E and the two L's. Um, it's sickening, isn't it? I mean, also rather insulting that people can't see through that kind of thing. Could you, could you, you've just mentioned greenwashing there. Could you explain just what greenwashing is? So, um, and I mean, obviously companies are increasingly, you know, coming out with their green in inverted commas, credentials. And, and actually, to be fair, some, some of these companies will be making genuine you know, efforts to move into different areas or run their companies differently. But what is greenwashing? So um, it's, it's generally trying to like kind of dress yourself in like kind of green clothes um, whilst simultaneously um, doing actions that speak nothing towards those um that kind of green um image that you're protecting um so it's kind of like a kind of surface level um way to like pretend that you're doing stuff and that you care about the climate just sort of being lip service while yeah. in the opposite just hypocrisy really yeah but it's like they kind of it's kind of PR laden lip lip service right so you're like making all this noise and making all this sound about how great you are and how green you are and how much you care about the climate how much you care about the environment um Whereas, like, yeah, what what you're doing really under the surface is continuing like fossil fuel extraction or fossil fuel combustion. Um, so we actually did an action at SSE, um, who are one of the kind of sponsors um, of COP26. We did it in collaboration with Extinction Rebellion Scotland, um, and what they did was they blockaded the SSE offices in Peterhead with a greenwashing machine, um, which was like a really kind of visual way of telling that metaphor. Um, Very good. But yeah. There is that sort of thing. Like, see if you were to like watch, like people say it all the time, if you're to watch like BB, BP's like output, you would think they're like this cozy, like green and renewable energy company and not like a company who are like overwhelmingly like to the point where it's ridiculous based in like fossil fuel extraction. So to that extent, it probably does filter through, I think. Um, and sponsorship, if we're talking about like COP26, is like one of the ways in which companies can get that license to like, yeah, dress themselves in that green clothes, kind of green clothes and pretend that they're like, part of the solution when in actual fact um they're really causing the problem and the main reason they do it of course is so that like governments don't regulate them and don't tell them what to do and um, so they don't have to like avoid any so they're basically trying to avoid any kind of public scrutiny and public um accountability for their actions yeah i i, I mean i was reading 
well, it was an article in The Guardian from a while back, but it's, it was about a report that came out a year or two ago. And, you know, it's just basically kind of got put the facts together about something like 75% of the increase in carbon emissions is down to about 100 companies in over yeah. the world. You know, and you think... You know, a bit. Of course, it's a bit naive. This, but you know, a bit. You think, well, it's just a hundred companies. Surely we can cope with that. And and of those twenty five, I think there was something like twenty five of them, including folk like BP, Shell, uh, Exxon, the big coil companies. You know, if they carry on doing what they've been doing for the last thirty years, uh, it, you know. The, the, the planet will be well. The planet won't be destroyed, but uh, humanity's niche on the planet may well go, um, you know, at the cost of billion, millions and millions of people's lives, disruption, to a certain extent, um, even, you know, civilization. It, you begin to think you're living in a Margaret Atwood dystopia novel. Yeah, yeah. And they're like really trying to mess with that. So like what you said, yeah, it's like, a, it's so perilous just now. The situation is so perilous. Um, and it might be that we've already like crossed like yes. tipping points that we just yeah. cannot get back from, you know? Yeah. Um, but the question is, is how far we want to chance it, you know? Um, and like, it seems like that's very much, I mean, from our political class, that's very much a kind of debate that's open. Um, but yeah, like you point out, very few companies um, are kind of responsible for this. Um, and it's very important always, to, I, mean, I mean, we make this point all the time that, you know, you're not personally responsible for like this situation. It's a problem of like power um, and like often kind of power that's been handed to like, Malign actors, and like what we need to do is take back that power. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Just even to kind of tie in with a bit of the greenwashing stuff you're talking about, like for example, like BP kind of, kind of like invented basically like that kind of term carbon footprint that like everyone just says now, um, without even thinking about. Um. That's that was kind of like a market employee for them, so that they get like customers or people to like measure their carbon footprint yeah. and see how much you can do to like solve the climate crisis. Um. Very very. I mean it's. It's so evil, but also like a little. It is a little bit like genius at the same time because it's it's worked. You know, everyone says carbon footprint. Yes, yes, exactly. Just so, just to ask you something else, then. So, um, is the Scottish government involved much in in the Glasgow COP, or is it basically, you know, I mean, obviously, it's not a devolved area or anything like that. Yeah. Um. So, like, there's definitely quite a lot of like, um, politics around that. I mean, in principle, not really. It is like the kind of UK government, or like the presidency. So, like all ministers and people involved um, in like the kind of presidency around the COP are um, from the UK government. And of course, the UK make kind of their kind of climate disclosures as a kind of UK unit. But again, like that's yeah, mostly kind of uh, Westminster based. Yeah. But like the COP, there's almost like kind of two points, two things that can happen at the COP. There's like the kind of agendas that people are kind of trying to the actual agenda of the COP and the items up for discussion. Um, and then there's also just like the chance for like people to like make statements on the international stage. And like th- at that level, like, the Scottish government will most definitely be involved because it's just so proximal to like where they're at. So the, I think they're going to be like hosting like certain spaces um, and then around the kind of COP venue. And no doubt you'll see like plenty of news um, of the Scottish government talking, talking yeah. climate. Yeah. Um, and the lead up to the COP and during the COP, and it might actually create the impression that they are very much involved in the process. And um, so they've got s- agenda. Set, they can influence the agenda and like the kind of na- the narrative around the Scottish government 
to a certain extent around the club and use, yeah, use yeah. I'm, and and I mean, I, I mean, I, I think it was well, it must be three or four years back now. But when there was a, a meeting in Poland, a climate meeting in Poland. Um, you know, the first minister got invited to that. She was on a panel. She's doing a panel discussion. So there's obviously opportunities to, for them to get involved. Um, but 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 Scotland does have some pretty impressive targets, and they are legally bound by them, aren't they? So I suppose you know they'll be trying to they'll be trying to kind of encourage other people to to do that. So do you have any plans? Um, do you need plans for action on the ground in Glasgow in November, or is that given too much away? To, you I know, mean, to, to MI5, who's bound to be listening into this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, um, almost certainly, almost certainly, there'll be plans on the ground at Glasgow. Um, but fortunately, I can't even um, give it away because I don't know what they're going to be <laughs> yet. No, like definitely not that um, far fault. Definitely not planned that far ahead. But um, yeah, there very much will be kind of action-based actions happening in Glasgow, and I think we'll be very much um, a part of that. What they look like, who knows? And there's also just a kind of quick, the kind of organising question of like, and this is a question that our group has to like kind of try and work through is like, how much can we mobilise people? How much can we get people involved in like the climate movement over the next few months so that they feel prepared to you know take action when COP comes or take on like a kind of. Um, a leadership role for want of a better term, like when COP comes. <laughs> you get that term, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, like things will be happening almost certainly. Yeah. Yeah. You'll uh... see my little curly head bobbing around somewhere. <laughs> yeah, we look forward to seeing, you know, the sort of creative ideas around um, demonstrations, yeah. and, you know, actions. If we see somebody dangling from the Finiston crane, we'll keep an eye open to see if it's you, Scott. <laughs> I can assure you, my, my fear of heights um, <laughs> will get in the way there. Hey, now, hey, that's an idea. A couple of years back, I did a, a, um, a bit of fundraising um, for, for a charity in Glasgow, which involved a zip wire across the Clyde from, you know, from near where that big crane is. Right, across. you could you could get people going across with big banners, um, holding big well, banners up. I'll do that. Now you've volunteered in Marlene. Yeah, I'll volunteer. Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if Boris Johnson like wired into the cop, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully he'll get stuck halfway across the plane. <laughs> <laughs> holding yeah. holding a Union Jack, of course. Yeah. Yeah, very so intact so if he got stuck. <laughs> so it's been really good talking to you, uh, Scott, and um I I, I I mean, you know, I've only kind of picked up about the group from, from well, from this chat, but also from your website. And I think you're doing a lot of good work in there, actually. It's really impressive way of getting people involved. Um, you, how do you feel? How about yourself personally? How do you, are you feeling, I don't know, are you feeling optimistic? Are you, not just about COP, but, you know, the longer term, because, you know, you're sitting here talking to two old age pensioners, and let's be let's be honest. By the time the worst of this happens, we'll both be out of the picture. Um, you know, we've also got young relatives to think about as well. But how how you how do you feel about it all yourself? I mean, to be honest, and I don't know if this um, speaks towards just the way my mind works, but I probably don't carry a great I don't carry a great deal of optimism and a great deal of faith, and as much as like. 
I don't think the people who have caught or the political institutions that have continually failed mm. on this issue are going to like solve the crisis. Um, so like say at COP26, like I don't have much faith that we're going to see like radical the radical change that we need um, on the climate. But like that kind of I guess um, kind of pessimism towards like our political institutions I guess is maybe to a certain extent offset by like the optimism around kind of movement building and yeah. like the climate movement across the globe and the climate movement in Scotland and yeah the potential for change and like the fact that I think we've seen plenty of little kinds of like things just shifting even over the last um you know five ten years yeah. I mean like the reason That's I'm true. here yeah. to a certain extent was because of the indie ref and like I got really involved in the indie ref as a 22 year old and then from there I've just kind of picked it up and and, and kept on going you know and so I've got like confidence in like the potential of like movement building change basically and um, but I mean it's also kind of the, the situation as you also said is like quite quite dire as we're speaking we shouldn't like avoid how like how how, how much work we have to do to like make sure and yeah. um, we we've got to challenge the power structures that have caused the crisis because I mean, it's COP26, 26 is the kind of close to 26 go. Yeah. Trying to stop, yeah, stop this exactly. Out, right? Yes, ex exactly. Um, it's such um, an important role that your organisations play yeah. in the raising of awareness and motivating people and using this opportunity to bring it to the forefront of people's minds, you know, in the light of COVID and the pandemic, you know, a lot of other issues have kind of got pushed to the side. I mean, I was in George Square last you know, I was going to say last year, but it's like two years ago because you've lost a year <laughs> of your life when all the young people yeah. were demonstrating and it was yeah. so inspiring, it you was. know. Yeah. It was fabulous, you know, yeah. so thanks. I was here too. <laughs> yeah. Thanks very much for all you're doing, Scott. Yeah, and uh, no. thanks for coming and talking to us. And maybe, you know, come November, we might get back in touch and you can tell us about how things are going. No, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I really appreciate um, you folks reaching out and inviting us along. Um, and yeah, I'd be more than happy to chat Great. in the future, in November or whenever. Um, or whenever, right. Okay, then. You can, you can chat to me on the finishing crane. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, bring the microphone up. <laughs> okay, fantastic. So we're coming to the end of today's Daytime Friday show. Presenters Marlene Halliday and myself, Valerie Gold, we hope you've enjoyed the show. And you've been listening to interviews with Geraldine Clayton from Divest Strathclyde, Councillor Ken Andrew from Glasgow City Council, who's a member of the Management Committee of the Strathclyde Pension Fund, and from Scott Tully, who is from the campaigning group Glasgow Calls Out Polluters. And if you'd like to hear more great music on Indie Live Radio, why don't you tune in this evening, Friday at 7pm, to hear um, Steve B's show, which is Music and Musings. Always some great music there. Tomorrow, again, we have at 10 o'clock from 10 to 1 on Saturday morning, we have the Saturday show with James E. And in the afternoon, a chance to hear again some of our other shows like Steve B and Dr. Dave. Please consult our schedule on our website for 
full details of all the shows because there are some really amazing shows in our music team. Steve Callahan, Fiona McGregor, James E, James Elliott and Jerry Mulvena are adding new shows all the time like Jerry's great show on a Wednesday uh, at 7 which is Musical Hugs and also James's show on Thursday evening at 7 o'clock which is Our Country. So there's all sorts of types of music to, to suit all sorts of tastes. So have a good look at the schedule and remember that you can also now access a lot of our shows on Mixcloud which you can download the app or you can um, access it you know via your browser but that way you can hear these music shows on demand at any time you like so i hope you've enjoyed the show it'll be repeated tomorrow between seven and nine that's saturday the third of july and um, we hope you'll tune in again next week for more of the friday show on indielive.radio and in the meantime this is valerie gold closing the show and wishing you a really great weekend Indie Life Talk Radio The Daytime Show Indie Life Talk Radio The Daytime Show Indie Life